Welcome to the In Real Estate Podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm your host. I'm a broker here in Salt Lake City for Grant Real Estate, LLC. Today on the show, we have a special guest, Andrew Dean. He's a personal friend of mine and an investor in real estate in Utah and other states. We've also got producer Alex on the show joining us as the layperson for the as a homeowner. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Today, we're just basically going to be talking with Andy. Andy, thanks so much for joining us in our many years of knowing each other, working together, and then conversations even recently about what you have going on. I think it would be extremely helpful for my viewers and listeners to understand how can anybody get started in this who may not necessarily know very much. You have gone through so many things really with no help from anybody else. You kind of forged your way with your wife Mm -hmm. and you have found your way into immense success. I want to just kind of hear about how how did it start for you? Where did it start and how did you get your beginning in owning and investing in real estate? You know, it started when I married, met my wife in 2013. Um, I was doing really well working at a company you know, paying high rents for an apartment to myself, uh, kind of enjoying the life lifestyle like that. I, I never really, you know, I grew up, you know, I grew up kind of poor. My, my family, they don't know anything about money. They didn't know how to teach us about money. So I never learned. And so when I was, I was in the rat race, I was working, it was after college. I met Jen, she moved uh, my wife, she moved into just a few neighborhoods away and we met at church and she had just purchased her own place and she was 25 going to school full time. Well, it kind of intrigued me. Um, her family getting to know her family, her grand, her grandpa bought, um, properties back in the sixties. He was an insurance agent. He bought properties back in the 60s, duplexes for $10,000. Unbelievable. $10,000 in Provo, Utah. And he just bought a ton of them in the 60s and 70s. And he had them all paid off and he's making just a buttload on all these apartment co- yeah. buildings. And um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and he was just an insurance agent. He didn't, it wasn't anything, you know. Well, he's special, but well, you know what I mean. He had some vision, he had right? Some, he had some vision, For, invest- some foresight. And duplexes in Provo. I mean, Provo's not really on anybody's map back then, Mm-mm. unless you're from here. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. all three of us in this room are not from here. Mm-mm. So, you know, to have that foresight is interesting. You didn't have that. My family doesn't have that type of, like growing up, we didn't have that type of, those types of conversations about money either. I don't know. That is definitely true for my family as well. Yeah. Like the idea of using money more than just regular everyday purchases was foreign yeah. to me and in, into adulthood. Well, and it's no one to blame. I come from a large family. Alex, so do you. Your family situation, your parents separated. You mm-hmm. had a lot of dynamics living in different states. And so uh, really in the course of trying to survive, there's not always this idea, let's let's figure out how to thrive. And so- No, we were in survival mode. Right. And, you know, growing up, my parents divorced and my grandma bought a, bought a house and we just lived in that house till I graduated and, you know, in Ohio from high school and came out here to Utah and, yeah. you know, started my own path here. And, um, you know, you know, after meeting Jen we started dating, her parents bought a duplex way back in 1999 and they sold that, turned it into three, four plexes in Orem and, and then just started buying more stuff. So I thought, you know, I, I feel, I feel like I'm a, pretty smart guy. I can, I can figure this out. So we decided after we got married, I tried a couple jobs. I didn't really like them, but I, I really felt like I needed to, you know, come up with some plan. Jen and I were both on board. I mean, obviously she's the one that was more on board because her family does this stuff. Right. And so, and I have this chip on my shoulder. I got to get out of this. You know, I, I kind of, a a moment of self-awareness when my Right before my daughter was born, I sold all everything I had, and we Jen got her real estate license, and that was a turning point because in in my mind, her being able to make three percent on a on a home that we buy was a lot of money for us, 
And so our plan initially was, okay, let's buy one property a year for 10 years. And then hopefully we have like five or $6,000 in passive income coming, which is great. Great plan. Great plan. Yeah. You know, one a year, very doable. And she'll make 10 to $20,000 a year, you know, not, not really working. Well, so my, her parents, um, we moved in after my daughter, right before my daughter first born, um, was born March of 2015. We moved into their basement and we just saved and I got a job. And at this point I didn't care, you know, I was in sales. I didn't care what job I just recognized. I need to get a job where I, what I, and I can leverage that job to buy real estate. And, and so I got a, I got a job. I was paying maybe 70, 80,000 a year, you know, nothing great, but it was a good sales job, you know, enough, got the benefits. So we were just saving. Um, my, my in-laws were just great. They let us stay down there for free. Um, you know, we had, I bought this 1997 Honda Civic from them with no AC oh, I remember. for, for $1,200. Yeah. I sold my Jeep Grand Cherokee, which I loved with a Hemi, sold that, <laughs> sold everything. And this was our plan. Let's just buy a place. Let's get a duplex, live in one side, rent out the other. That was our plan. So she was in photography so she did a bunch of weddings that summer and i was just saving so we we had enough for a down payment we were putting offers in on places and got one accepted and it was a big duplex down in provo that was just kind of a piece of crap yeah it was owned by one of the osmond brothers okay okay yeah. and so we were okay cool you know well uh we put an offer got it accepted went through the walkthrough on that property and i'm this ambitious i gotta get this property kind of guy you know i have to get started i just had this weird you know anxiety with you know starting my real estate empire and so we walked through the house one side we walked through there were bolts, multiple locks on every door. And, but then I walked into the garage. It was a two car garage. It had two pimped out pickup trucks. And I'm like, I just finished Breaking Bad. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to see what's going on. I'm going to do a meth test. Did a meth test, meth lab results, county shut it down. Police kicked down the doors. They found meth, meth paraphernalia, guns with serial numbers scratched off. It was straight up the cartel. I was super excited because I was able to negotiate a lot more off. Oh, yeah. And the house has a, to get abated. A lot of concessions. Yeah. I was under contract for five months. Right. And I'm here I am. Yep. Awesome. Sounds good. I'm getting a discount. And and I can wait. And I only put $1,000 down for earnest money. Great. So that's all, that's all my investment. I'm just waiting. Anyway, we close. It's gutted. And we got an owner-occupied loan. It was a 10% download loan. That was all of our savings at the time. Um, well, not all of it, but we renovated that side. We used all of our savings to renovate. And I did a lot of sweat equity, never painting kitchen cabinets ever again. No, it's the worst. Oh. Yeah. And, no, you uh, don't have to. No. <laughs> I, I probably put about $20,000 into it. I mean, I went to Home Depot and Lowe's and applied for credit cards with... 12 year, no zero interest, you know, uh, program. So I, I just financed everything. Yeah. Did a lot of sweat equity. Um, talked to the bank a few months after we moved in. I mean, it was nice. We put a, we, we made it real nice. Moved into the mess side. <laughs> totally awesome. It's, it's a good story. It felt good. It too. felt really Perfect good. Perfect place for our daughter. Our, yep. Our daughter took her first, first steps there, turned one. Um, very safe place. Um, but we, we were approached by the bank and, and after we fixed it up and they, they asked us about if we wanted to get a home equity line of credit on it. And I'm like, I looked more into it and realized that, you know, the equity that the appreciation that we just forced, um, with this, we could take out. So we, we applied for it. Six months after we bought it, we got a seventy thousand dollar line of credit. <clears throat> the bank it appraised for three fifty. We bought it for two eighty. Oh my goodness! And how long after? Six months. Six months. It's incredible. Um, 
and that was sixty seventy thousand dollars. That was the most I've ever. I mean, I'm, I come from. Well, you just gave away everything that you had to this home. Everything we yeah. had like a thousand dollars in our bank account at yeah. the time. Now we were renting the other side out for twelve hundred dollars sure. a month. Our mortgage was fifteen fifty. So just helping majority of your mortgage was paid for. Yeah, we were paying Expenses we were paying three hundred fifty dollars to live there, and with two hundred dollars in water, sewer, trash, and stuff. Now. No, we took that 70000 and we just started going crazy. My main focus initially was cash flow. This is a game of Monopoly. I'll buy this property. Well, it, this gives me $1,000 a month. This other one, $500 a month. It just started started to add up, and I started getting obsessed with it. And, and pretty soon, I mean, I worked at that job for six years, actually. So I probably grew out of it in two or three, but I was obsessed with getting more loans. You can get up to 10 loans um, on properties. It gets kind of tricky with debt to income, you know, by your seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th loan. But there's things that you can do to kind of mitigate it. We put a lot of debt on the gen and I got the loan and then we put debt You're on me and, and she got the loan. So we were, we were, we were kind of bootstrapping it, but we, we became obsessed with, all right, how do we keep expenses down? I drove that car for five more years. It was a little beat-up Honda Civic with no AC. In fact, right before I sold it to my wife's cousin, I fixed the AC for it cost like twelve hundred dollars, and I sold it to her cousin for eight hundred bucks because I felt like I couldn't sell him a car with no AC. Right. But anyway, um, but we just kept expenses down as much as we could and focused on just. Buying so for the next couple of years we bought a fourplex, lived in one unit, rented out the other three. Yep. We th- that that meth house that we duplex that we bought, we actually rented out the side that we were living in um, seven months later um, after we bought it because we moved into a fourplex after that. We um, we were making about eighteen hundred a month on that side. Mind you, the mortgage was fifteen fifty. So now, just on one side, you're in the positive. In the positive, yeah. and the other side, we're still making twelve hundred. And I was beat up, so it, it was on the radar to fix it up. I became obsessed with fixing up <clears throat> properties. I, I loved, oh, I, I loved the idea of of going into a just a dilapidated unit that hasn't been cared for for a long time and just fixing it up. Not only does it get fulfill me to you know make the world a better place or whatever, you know, whatever I thought at the time. But there was real monetary value in fixing up. The rents could be higher than the value of the property would be worth more. And so we started, um, just started buying a lot of places over the next two, three years. I think uh, we probably bought in our first three years, maybe uh, like 10, 10 places. Now, my mind you, my goal was 10 in 10 years, one a year. So I just started, we just started kind of learning, um, as we went, you know, I think we, we watched a YouTube video of some guy in Florida who taught how to buy something with no money down. We were like, let's try it out. And we did it. We bought something with no money down. Two years later, we sold it, made 50,000 bucks. And we were just trying everything in our our risk tolerance just went through the roof. We were like, we're in our, yes. low, you know, we're in our low to mid thirties. We can risk and lose everything. We started out with nothing. We're not really losing anything. Well, and knowing you, like I do, we lived together in college. Mm-hmm. We lived in the best house, <laughs> but it's because we what, had no- wasn't, wasn't it called the Hazard the County? The Hazard County is house is what we called it. We had no standard. Mm-hmm. We lived in a basement. You're tall. I'm slightly shorter than you are. You couldn't stand straight up Mm-mm. in that basement. And you lived in what is literally, it's smaller than this room. It was smaller than this yeah, room. Yeah. Like, so by best house, you mean worst house. Worst house. <laughs> best because it was so cheap. And it was right next to campus at BYU. But your tolerance for like dealing with very little, you had a high tolerance for that. Mm-hmm. But you also knew how to like make something happen. You drove around like the coolest purple motorcycle I have ever seen. In fact, I learned how to ride a motorcycle on it and scared me to death to this day. I'll never ride again because I almost laid it down in the parking lot. You did. I, I still have that. I did. You do. I still have it. That's right. You do. But the thing that I know about you, and I was telling this to Alex before you got here, was 
you're the type of person who you make it happen. And so part of your story, and I think this is helpful for a lot of people, is starting out, you recognized the sacrifice you were going mm-hmm. to have to make. You were entitled to nothing. You and Jen started. Jen decided to get her real estate license. Now, I know Jen. Jen's a bit of a shark, so she's going to make it happen regardless. But mm-hmm. it sounds like she kind of came from a mindset, mm-hmm. a family who owns a number of properties, right? So she came from that mindset. But for you, as you guys teamed up, did Jen still continue to do work for her clients? Or was it, did it, at some point, did it come primarily for just the benefit of, of you two acquiring properties? No, that's a great question. So initially, um, and I tell a lot of people this, initially, you get your real estate license to help you. You know, you have access to the MLS, you have, you know, first dibs on a lot of properties. You can call agent to agent. You can negotiate commissions. You can, you know, there's a lot of tools you can use as a, as a realtor. Now, um, over the years, once we started acquiring properties without, you know, we didn't really tout anything. People, people that started to know us and, and learned what we were doing, they started looking to us as experts, even two, three years after. Yeah. after. Oh, yeah. Just owning one duplex, they're like, wow, that's incredible. <clears throat> How'd you do it? You yeah. Know? And and so they would talk to us and then they would say, can you help us? And so initially, because we were cash poor, we were just, we were just trying to take any money that we made, we threw at investment properties. We just believed in real estate. You know, I didn't foresee the market doing what it did, what it's done now, but um, I just thought, yeah, I can just hold on to it. I, I honestly, my our plan was five years, quit my job, and then I I can we can live off of ten grand, a, you know, a month. Um, you know, so we went through um, this cash poor phase, and so we were we were people started asking us for help, and we we said, yeah, sure, we'll help you out, and so we started. Jen started gaining clients and helping other people, out. and it's been really cool to see people who people who came from similar backgrounds and started buying a couple, a few places and how well that's done for them. Um, and it's, it's life changing to, you know, somebody that had hardly anything, they bought a duplex back. We helped them buy a duplex in 2017. You know, we showed them kind of the blueprint, fix it up, rent it out. You know, they still own it today and have three, $400,000 in equity in that one duplex. So, I mean, for you, you decided early on, I don't want to have a lot of debts Mm -hmm. because for the debt to income ratio to work correctly, to get these loans initially, for the banks to trust you, you can't have a lot of debts like a car lease or even like rent. You decided to live with Jen's family Mm -hmm. for free. My own brother lived with his in-laws for 10 months while they were building his beautiful home in Farmington. Really, that's the only way that he could have made that happen. Now his appraisal came in just three years later, $450,000 above what he bought it for. That's crazy. But that's the benefit of mm-hmm. taking the sacrifice. I, you drove. Here you are. You own multiple properties. You and I would go to these properties together and you'd pull up in this beat up Civic. But to you, the car meant nothing. It was a way to get around. The job, maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't. Mm-hmm. But it was a vehicle to earn you money. Means so you to could, an end. Yeah, because you had a greater goal in mind. I think a lot of individuals in my sphere, they tend to literally, this is such a catchphrase, work for the weekend. That's it. Work for the next trip they're going to take. Trips are not cheap. They mm-hmm. tend to uh, make you cash poor and they give you memories, which are fabulous, but they don't make you any money. Memories don't pay rent. They don't. <laughs> That's a gay. Hey, coin that phrase right here, right <laughs> now. So, you already had this mindset of, I'm going to sacrifice to make this happen. What were some of the initial roadblocks you and Jen, or you and or you and Jen faced initially when you guys were getting into this? Because so many individuals, especially now, are finding it hard to just yeah. get in. What were some of those things y'all faced? So the num- the first thing was I had never checked my credit for a- initially. When yeah. I met Jen, you know, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, she bought a place. Cool. I had no idea how to buy a place. Right. And um, before we got married, we were engaged. I realized my credit score was in the, you know, it was like 590. 
I had no idea. I had a missed payment from like six years ago, and I, I oh. didn't really have a whole lot on my credit report. So it was, and so I simple I was, things you can mm-hmm. fix. Yeah. So it was a couple months before I was getting married. I'm like, I can't. I'm bringing nothing to the table. I just spent half my life savings on a ring. You know what? What am I? What am I? You know, and I had I had a little bit of debt. Um, I mean, even I mean, my my mindset. You know, two weeks before I graduated BYU, um, took out two student loans. What? Ma- I maxed them out. Two student loans, and I bought a one way ticket to Hawaii. I did I, not know this. And I story. stayed there for like three four months till it ran out. <laughs> I bummed it. It was 2009. Pendulum really swung the other way on this right? one, didn't it? 2009. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, that's the year I graduated too. Yeah. Yeah. No jobs. There's no. Nope. Job. No. So. You uh, were in Hawaii and I got into an accident and had to pay IHC five grand for my ER visit. There you go. Yeah. You could have so, t- taken out a student loan for that. You should have done that, dude. Yep. <laughs> Tell me your secrets ahead know, of time. Right? <laughs> anyway, so, I, so it was a credit score. So I, I went and I, I Googled, how do you fix a credit score? You know, I, I had no idea. They don't yeah. teach this stuff in college or no. high school or anything like that. So I I went, I found some random guy, <clears throat> um, really nice guy from Africa. And I I met him just on, on the internet and gave him money. He said, fix my credit. And, okay. uh, you know, I realized looking back, this could have been a real <laughs> easy Solid pickings choices for us, being made. For, for a scam, but no, he fixed my credit, shot up over 700 within three, four months. Um, he just, I, I guess, disputed a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's and all that, it is. And that's all it is. I've done the same thing. That's yeah. all it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with that credit score, I was able to, uh, to, to start buying places. So the number one is credit score. Credit. I had no money really. I mean, Jen was really good at, at the money thing. She was really good at saving money and, you know, she had a good, came from a good, solid family that understood money. Yeah. And so we, we, we started to save and I, I really had to retrain myself. I think the book that I read that really kind of changed my mindset was Richest Man in Babylon. Sure. They, it it goes into, you know, it talks about, you know, saving, investing, you know, you take one tenth of your uh, or two tenths of your income and invest it. Um, it. But something that really struck me was the expenses that you have um, when you go to work and earn a paycheck, don't pay. Um, you shouldn't be paying those expenses with active income. So what you do is you turn that money that you actively make, turn them into workers that work and work for you and then and those workers then pay your expenses so i i became obsessed with okay i need to start investing this thousand dollars i'm making a month off of off of this property is going to pay for this and so i just started mapping it out in my head for and and we got rid of all the debt that bad debt that i had any bad debt cars credit cards um, stuff like that, we just got rid of, and and just started pilot figuring out how to buy buy places. So that was number one. You know, we started saving money, having it for down payment, and so the credit, and then the down payment. Other than that, I just the job. I understood the debt to income. Yeah, you know, you had to have that income. So a W two income. It's hard to buy stuff with. Don't I know it? It yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. It's hard if you're not if you're not W two. It it really is hard, especially now. Especially now. Um, and so, um, I I I figured all that out, and that was the first thing that you really had to do. You had to change your mindset and and realize that money. You know, earning this money, you know, um, you're kind of a steward over over things and this money is not yours it's just given to you and you use that money and use it wisely be a good steward over it and and you'll get more and you'll get more you have kind of the you change this mentality and you take this take this money that you <clears throat> earn and i'm grateful for the opportunity to earn it and you just and you put it towards 
and and I know this sounds cheesy and weird, but I, I feel like I am making the world a better place by fixing up these crappy crap holes. Well, listen, as somebody properties. as somebody who's worked with you mm-hmm. on this, like we, I started flipping properties in Texas in about 2012. I had lost my business as a woodworker. It just wasn't going to be scalable. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to Dallas, and Dallas was this incredible area that was booming and we would take other people's money investors money we'd buy homes at auction and build them up we re rehab them and then we'd flip them for profit really quick which is easy to do because properties are so cheap there and there's so many of them and such a need but when you're done with it you feel so good about the product in the end and you feel good about giving something that you didn't get like we'd go into these homes that were foreclosed on and they were sometimes there there were poor little animals still there, mm. just dying there. Or people were squatting. We have to get the constable to come out. There's any myriad of issues. Fast forward to when you and I started jumping into business together. Initially, I came on, I was still working as a real estate agent, but when times were slow, I'd come help out mm-hmm. and use my skills to rehab the properties you were working on. Yep. When I reconnected with you during this part of your business, you were living in a fourplex, downtown Salt Lake. I remember because we just moseyed on over to a jazz game just real mm-hmm. quick from your house and then i met you down in provo and we were just starting to do work on all these different duplexes and we got them pretty bad shape oh but, yeah but then with our crew i mean we had we had it down mm-hmm. we had all the materials coming on big trucks we drop them off we had a whole everybody knew their job yep and then when people when we photographed them and, and showed them to the students they were taken immediately immediately every single every single hard. unit was done not, not hard to fill them and I, I became obsessed with student rentals because you make you cash flow really really well with students it's consistent um i mean some of the i mean we had at one point in time 150 i remember girls <laughs> from young young single adults and yeah they, getting in the middle of some of those fights and was was interesting. So um that fourplex in Salt Lake we just sold. Oh you did? Mm-hmm. We bought it for four hundred thousand dollars in twenty sixteen. Fixed it up. Real nice. Really nice. Yeah. Sold that's it a for good one. one point one million cash. <laughs> it, it this market's insane. And anyway, we'll we'll talk more about yeah. that part. Yeah, we'll get there. Um so so something switched because I was obsessed with buying it was monopoly for me. This was a game. This was buying houses and just increasing my cash flow. That's all. That's all I cared about in the beginning. That's all I thought about. And then once I replaced my income, it was probably 2017. I replaced my active income with passive income. I started to realize that cash flow is great, but I, I started to write these checks to the to the IRS every year. That was going to be my next 2016, question. 2016, 2017. And, and so I started doing a lot more research on, man, how, how do I, you know, uh, how do I avoid this? I heard that in real estate you can avoid it. So what, what kind of flipped in, in my mind was um, the tax benefits of buying real estate. Invest real estate investing. If you are investing in real estate, actively investing, and you spend more than 750 hours a year on real estate or anything real estate related, you can be a real estate professional. You get that designation on your taxes, which what it does is any real estate depreciation. Now, uh, depreciation, kind of a high level. If you go buy a rental property, um, the IRS arbitrary number, they say they, they take the, they, they subtract the land value, um, and they depreciate the value of the house of the building over 27 and a half years. I don't know where they came up with that number, but that's I don't either. And, and that amount, let's just say it's $15,000 a year. Um, if you're making $100,000 a year and you pocket $100,000, um, if you own that pro, uh, a duplex and you're able to shelter 15000 IRS will only tax you on 85000 not the 100000 So I, when I learned this, it was probably around 2016, 2017, 
it, it just it, another switch um, in my head. And I realized, okay, if I get this many more properties, then I don't have to pay taxes. And so 2017 was the last time I paid taxes. So it's actually saving you money mm-hmm. to use the money you have it's to liquid. buy more properties. It's liquid money, money that you keep in your pocket that you otherwise would be just writing to Uncle Sam. Well, I understand that because as somebody who works in real estate, I help other people buy it, right, and sell it. I've made a certain amount of money doing that each year, and then I had to learn about taxes, and that was a really hard mm-hmm. lesson. And uh, trying to figure that that out, even with you know P&Ls from this year, profit mm-hmm. and losses for this year has been really difficult, and that's why it's good to know professionals like yourself who can point me in the right direction of who to work with, who knows how to work with someone who's in my position. Yes. So there's viewers and listeners out there that have a W-2. There's other people like myself who are more self-employed who had to do it. Now, you've talked about how your mindset on money changed. I'm curious, Alex, you also own a beautiful home. You also came from a large family, California. You and I lived together in college, and we were both very poor, struggling to get along. You then went further. You went and got a master's and had this whole career you know, in, in mind, and then you have this incredible wife, and you guys have this great family here. How has your like idea of money changed since you guys have accumulated what you've done. Well, you know, getting married is kind of what helped like because of the family that I married into, right? I, I, I had like training wheels on entering this process of understanding <laughs> capital rather than just money and, and debit and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember actually seeing people like you when I was in college, and I just had this separation, almost like this this uh, nobility, uh, nobility sort of like separation of oh, look at them make money with money, but that's not for me. <laughs> like because I didn't have that. You didn't have the start. Uh, I didn't have that start. Yeah. I didn't have the knowledge. Like you said, sometimes it takes looking at YouTube, or sometimes you know, <laughs> hiring some mm-hmm. you know guy who might otherwise be shady or yeah, you know. Exactly. But there's so many risk taker. There's so many chasms, bear, you know, that you need to get past before you even have the ability to know how to risk, right? Because yeah. in college, and maybe this is com- coming from having lived in Brazil for two years and in conditions that I think most people. Well, there's no real legitimate reason to live at that type of <laughs> level, but my my tolerance for being cash poor was really high Mm -hmm. really high and i almost thought like that was the value but then to take that tolerance and to monetize it to like i don't know there's a couple things that i've picked up from what you've Mm -hmm. you've been saying um so you were uh you had a high risk tolerance Mm -hmm. um you also had this belief and realization that you could make your money go work for you Okay, so for somebody who doesn't really understand that mm-hmm. at that level, um, do you think that it's like part of your character or was it necessity? What sort of things really helped you get to a point where you were willing to to be to have a high, high risk tolerance? I just think like I'm not even I don't I don't even like feel comfortable letting my credit card debt go a week. It's like I use credit cards because I want. When Points. I make purchases, I think that's an, a smart way to just like sort of Maintain. little little bit, just kind of make yeah. sure that your your credit's active, yeah. you know. But I still like am so paranoid mm-hmm. about debt um, that I like want to pay it off that yeah. that same day or something. How do you get past some of those barriers? No, that is that's a great question. That I mean, great question. Let me tell you a story. When I was it was two thousand six. I got in an accident, totaled the car. I was fine. Um, and insurance company wrote me a check for $7,000. I had never seen that Whoa. kind of money in my life. I was yeah, 20, not, not 22, 23. <clears throat> um, and I went and, went and bought a motorcycle. <laughs> I, hey, I had <laughs> never even sat on a motorcycle. I just thought they would look cool. I went and bought a motorcycle. I didn't even think about, you know, I, I didn't think about what it would take to get... <laughs> A motorcycle and learn to ride it so i just went and wrote him a check and bought it and i remember after i bought it i kind of walked it to the street <laughs> that's and, what you do and I, I i looked on youtube how to ride a motorcycle and then i realized <laughs> this that might I didn't, be who he is i yeah. didn't really <laughs> understand yeah. i didn't really understand and so i went and knocked on the door and asked them hey man i'm 
can you teach me? <laughs> and so he taught me. He was a nice guy. I think his name was Tom. Just a really nice guy. Um, let me borrow his helmet. This is the guy you bought the motorcycle I bought the motorcycle from. And um, for the next four hours, I had to make it four miles somehow. And so I was just riding in the neighborhoods, you know, almost falling. I mean, this was a, it was a 2002 Honda Shadow uh, 750cc. Um, it was a nice, it was big, it was, it was big for somebody who's learning. Anyway, the one time I was, um, I, I started going pretty fast and I was going right towards a parked car and I'm like, Oh crap. And so I turned the, the, I don't know if you ever rode a motorcycle before, but it's not like a bike where you just turn the handle, the handlebars, you know? So, um, I, I was just going right towards it. That wasn't helping. And at the last second, I just started looking away and the bike just followed and I just barely missed it. So I guess the moral of the story is if I would have focused on that car, I would have hit the car, but I looked away from the car. So I learned to not focus on debt, Yeah. but I focused on the potential income that that could get me, that that debt, and that's good debt. If there, if you can leverage the bank's money to buy a place that makes you money, not only that, but the appreciation that you gain, the bank doesn't keep any of that. Mm-hmm. You keep all of that. So I focused on that. I didn't focus on the debt. Sometimes I'd look at my credit report back in 2018, 2019. It was good. It was always good credit, but I think at one point I had $5 million in loans in real estate that's loans. A, that's a little, in debt. Well, that, that's like, that's like, I don't know, so huge a number that it yeah. makes me want to like shovel up and like, I never get in debt, never get in debt. Right. Yeah. So, so, but your mindset had changed. And I by think this for a point. lot of listeners would agree with you. Alex. Yeah. Like, I, I would like, but I baby steps, right? Like you worked your way up yeah. to that point. And, 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 and I just focus on the potential, what you can make this property. Once you fix it up, can make you $500 a month. Mm-hmm. Don't think about the $2,000 a month rent payment or mortgage payment, you know? So I started thinking, thinking that way. I, I, I mean, I'd listened to Dave Ramsey back in college sure. mm-hmm. and, you know, and I thought, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. But then, and he's very conservative as far as yeah. leveraging your debt. He's not going to ha- make you, and he's, he's very, you to... very anti-credit card, right? And oh, yeah. Buy everything with cash. Don't buy. So I, I was interested. I, I, I looked into going to one of his seminars in Salt Lake. And then I went online and the only way to buy a ticket was with a credit card. So then I realized, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, right. all right, this is all. He's like, let's see how many these, of my These are rules, but they're more to help help frame your mind, yeah. not necessarily sins that you'll, yeah. you know, be it's, damned for. If you, yeah, Dave, right. Ram, Dan Rams, Dave Ramsey's for those those people that don't aren't risk takers, that just want to get out of debt and live an easier life. It's not for someone like me mm-hmm. where... I, and it does work. Like if you spend all of your time and money, mm-hmm. money, getting out of the debt by spending that money on that debt, Dave's way will get you there. And right. a lot of people have done it. I myself have done it. But what it doesn't get you is it doesn't- It doesn't get you wealth. It doesn't get you wealth. Right. It gets you just out of debt. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break. After the break, we're going to talk to Andy about his accumulation of Utah properties and then properties in other states. So stay with us. All right, welcome back. We've still got Andy Dean and producer Alex here with me. We're just going to pick up right where we left off. So, Alex, you mentioned uh, during the break that you had a question for Andy. Go ahead and, and tell us what that. Yeah. Is. So, that, thanks for answering about mm-hmm. like you know getting over some of the debt fear, right? And you know, I think I a lot it. of yeah. a lot of people understand the Dave Ramsey method of you know conservatively. Um, at least getting out of debt. But I think that almost like reinforces a little bit of the debt fear sometimes. And you had said like when you when you get money, especially like W-2 money, like you're on somebody's payroll and you're getting that paycheck and how to not just like sit on it, but put it to work for you. For me, I remember, especially back in college, there's no way I had enough money, at least in my mind, uh, the, my belief about money, that I had enough money to pass that threshold to be able to purchase a property. Mm-hmm. So for somebody in that... Uh, you know, in that area of their financial development. Yeah. 
what does it look like to put your money to work? So, well, I mean, I get, I get, I get the question, you know, where do I start? Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I start? I, I'd love, I'd love to put my money to work. How do I start? Um, I think I, you know, I, I talked about it earlier, but number one is, you know, go to one of the credit agency websites, pay, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks or whatever it is for a couple months of monitoring your credit. The, the banks look at the, your debt to income. They, they take into account only what they see on the credit report. So that credit card, car debt, they don't look at rent. They don't look at groceries or anything like that. They look at those things. And I, and initially I became obsessed and every credit card I probably have, honestly, $250,000 in credit limits right now. And I have just credit cards I just don't use. I just sit on, yeah. um, just to, cause I can man- easily manipulate my credit score by moving stuff around. Sure. And Jen has ab- about the same. About credit. the same. Yeah. And so, um, be obsessed with paying those down, getting those, um, you know, the credit cards and stuff like that, getting your credit to a place where you can get a good loan. Cause credit card debt is not good debt. No, really revolving the, credit card debt is not good. The, debt. the only debt that's good debt is the debt that makes you money. Right. Everything else is bad. Even your own home is bad debt. So, and I get that. I get Dave Ramsey is, is no debt is good debt, but if I can leverage the bank's money, I'll, I'll do that all day. You know, um, the leverage, for me, the principle of leverage, if, you know, if you have, say you have a hundred thousand dollars, you go buy a hundred thousand dollar home, not in Utah, but you go buy a hundred thousand dollar home and the market goes up 10%. You just made 10 grand. Awesome. If you leverage that and say for, for just this, this example, you put 10% down on a million dollar property, that same hundred thousand dollars. And then it, the market goes up the same 10%. You just made a hundred thousand dollars. So that's the difference with leverage. And so if you understand that principle and um, then you can, and you're okay with leveraging and you can focus on that, I can make $100,000 instead of $10,000. And you understand that it makes it a lot easier to go to bed at night and realize you have debt on your credit report. You know. Now I have a follow-up to this because as we were, as, as he mentioned this, some people may be listening to this and say, great, you started investing shortly after the crash, 2008, right? You graduate, you made some great financial decisions, taking out loans Mm -hmm. and going to Hawaii. Yeah. (laughs) And then bought a motorcycle. But like- Think of all the the money those memories are making. So many, so many. We just talk about that all the time. Yep. The truth is, is now, for so many people to get started, it is difficult. I had a conversation with Barbara Corcoran. Mm -hmm. I won an opportunity to meet with her. Now, she is a shark on Shark Tank. I've mentioned this before. But she's a real estate mogul in Manhattan. And she just said, it doesn't matter where you get started. It matters that you start because real estate is a trading game. You want to get in the game so that the thing that you purchase raises in value and you can trade it for something bigger and Mm -hmm. more. So, for instance, something that I have even recently mentioned with you is to team up. I mentioned this on my episode on the buddy system is what we called episode three of my podcast, where so many individuals right now are like they're going to rent with each other and they're single and or maybe they're not. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're in just their circumstances are such that they're living with multiple people in different circumstances, but they're all paying rent. Well, hey. If you're all just going to keep living together, why not pool your money and buy something and own that thing together? You and some of those properties, I remember talking to you. We go into how many of these duplexes that we would remodel. I'm like, Andy, how did you accumulate these? And you told me that you partnered up so often with other people. Is that a way some of us could get started? Yes. Explain that process. Why, why have you partnered up mm-hmm. when maybe you didn't have to? And what is, how is that? helped you increase your wealth? No, that's a great question. So partnering in real estate, it's very, uh, it's a lot, a lot easier than just say starting a business together and there's responsibilities and whatnot. Um, with, with real estate, most of the stuff that you do happens before you even purchase the property. Once in if you buy a duplex, 
you can, you know, somebody can get the loan. Um, you and you guys split the down payment. Maybe the other person finds the property. There's a lot of things that you can do. A lot of, a lot of the partnerships that I've had have been people approaching me saying, "I just want to get started," and and that's that's how you should do it. You should go to somebody um, that has done it before, take them to lunch, pick their brain. How do you get started? Um, and you should have. And a couple people had you know the. Uh, the guts to ask me, can we partner, please? Okay, you know? there you go. And can we partner somehow? Can that that because I can't do it on my own. Um, let Let me start initially before that with the your first comment on getting to, into the market. I I remember back then I felt like the market was high. I remember buying a property. I recently sold it for seven seventy eight. Um, it was a duplex in Provo I fixed up and I bought it for 389 and I thought this is so overpriced. I cannot believe. And I almost walked away cause I thought it was, just, I'm not paying this. I'm not paying yeah. this. I had just purchased a property very similar to this three months earlier for 350 off market. I didn't realize what how, a deal that was, what a deal that was, yeah. but, um, 389, I'm like, no way. But my my wife is she Jen is just let's get anything and everything if we can if we have a chance to get let's get it let's trust the girl who came up with the money and the property mindset <laughs> yeah not trust any of us so <laughs> yeah you know, I mean in the, in our relate in our relate in our marriage um hope she, she won't listen to this <laughs> she's she's the emotional one in real estate I get a little emotional I'm not going to agree or deny uh, anything <laughs> in real estate. And she's more of the level headed, uh, in the beginning, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be like, he won't, he wants that much. He's not negotiating. He's not willing to, I'm, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away, which you should be willing to walk away if it doesn't fit your, you know, your, right, don't your, make desperate yeah. decisions, but at the same time, don't make emotional decisions, okay. you know? So, you know, you should, you should have a plan. If it fits within that plan, fits within your numbers, buy it. If, and it still did, I was just emotional because the guy wouldn't negotiate. He ended up negotiating about 10,000. I, I negotiated 10,000 off. Still, so I got it for about. Still an incredible amount of money though. These three, days. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. 379, put a hundred grand into it, sold it for 778, three, four years later, three years later. So essentially you're making a hundred thousand dollars salary every year doing nothing. Nothing. It was cash flowing. And it was cash flow. It was cash flowing fifteen hundred a month. So you're making monthly money, mm -hmm. and then when you sell it, essentially over those three years, it's as if you had a job paying you one hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. So, but I had ten duplexes right within a couple miles. Of you that. did, I know, because I managed them. <laughs> right, so now, that's still just a little piece. Mm -hmm. It's right. just a piece. So, okay, let's just. For the sake of this conversation, let's talk about the difference for those thinking, I'm going to flip properties in Utah versus mm -hmm. let's buy and hold. Let's do the rehab, house hack potentially. Yep. Why not flip, Andy? Why hold them? Why even rent them out? Good question because I became obsessed with – I felt like – in the beginning, I felt like I, I just want long-term cash flow, residual income. That's what I want. I, flipping I thought was cool, but I, I didn't have enough cash to flip. Um, over the years, I, I, I've, I've flipped probably six or seven homes over the years. I don't like selling. I like to flip to myself and refinance and keep it, um, to leverage that for more. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I don't like to pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes on this stuff. Oh. So that's why I don't want to sell and pocket it. Now, when I learned <laughs> about depreciation and there's a more advanced strategy where you can accelerate the depreciation and shelter say, you know, you make a million dollars in a year, you sell a bunch of properties. If you have enough long-term, uh, you know, buy and hold real estate, you can accelerate some of the depreciation on those properties to shelter everything that you I pocket. See. So I, I played with that strategy over the years um, and I've done really well. How yeah. do you, is there a way that you use to like a deep dive into knowing that understanding depreciation because we can't go over it right now in a way mm -hmm. that's really going to give it's not going to be comprehensive in this right, conversation but, but yeah well just, some was it youtube did youtube get you there <laughs> you know it, it was it was i probably googled a bunch of it but it was calling people yeah 
um, I quickly oh. realized so your CPA probably doesn't know about depreciation and accelerated depreciation, cost segregation analysis. Now, pause it and Google and you Google those terms and read about them because those those are the main things that I use to shelter all my income, my wife's income, everything um, is sheltered because of the properties that we own. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of a high, high level is, is, is we would buy these places and I just, I just hate selling them. I hate getting rid of them out of my portfolio. It makes my cash flow number go down. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. Even the, you know, okay. An extra hundred thousand dollars can go quickly. You know, um, I throw that into a property, uh, to fix it up, but that equity that I, that I put in my pocket doesn't make me money. And so I just became obsessed with not selling. Now I did sell a few properties over the years and I flipped a few when they kind of came into, fell into my lap. And when you're doing this stuff long, you kind of build a network of people that, you know, people bring you stuff sometimes. Well, something that's been interesting for me is everybody has, you've used a term in this, in this, our conversation so far quite a few times. And it made me think about those, like even my own siblings and what they invest in. You use the word obsessed. You took this obsession and you helped it. it. You already had an interest in it. Jen had a general knowledge of it. You had to provide for a family. Alex, so did you. Like you had to provide for your family. And that is a huge driver for those things. But I wanted more than that. I wanted, because I could just go work till I'm 60 and provide for my family. Sure. I wanted, I wanted the freedom. Mm-hmm. I wanted to buy, mm-hmm. you can't buy time, but I can, I can work really hard for five years and then buy that, you know, buy the rest of my life back. Yeah. You know, I have three kids, ages six, four, and two. You know, I'm, I want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with them. I enjoy sleeping in on the weekends with them. You know, I, I, you know, I pay, I drive them to and from school. I I enjoy that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's that principle. I I just don't like to, you know, it, 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 you can't buy that time back. So the obsession isn't necessarily money. The obsession is freedom. Is freedom. And there's, I think when I replaced in 2017, when I replaced my active income, a switch happened in my head. Another one. Lots of switches in my head. So, but this one, I don't have to work if I don't want to. So work became a lot more easy for me. It's a sales job. And so mentally it wasn't a grind anymore. Right. Because I could quit at any time. And you're good. I'm making, but granted at the same time, I'd probably go get another job so that I can leverage that to get more loans. To get more loans. Once I yeah. got my 10th loan, I, it, there was no- You're capped. There's no reason for me to work anymore. So I quit. Well, what's interesting about this story is, so a couple of years ago, I became a broker. By being a broker, I could do property management. Now, not only, you can obviously, if you own your own properties, you can manage them and mm-hmm. you can pay your own people to manage those properties but you can't pay somebody else to manage someone else's properties. So mm-hmm. I came on board under the umbrella of our real estate agency. We we did that. You at one point had, I think at least here between Provo and Salt Lake, like 33 different multifamily properties that I was managing, potentially more that maybe I wasn't necessarily managing, mm-hmm. but you had a uh, part in. But now, now that your vision started with 10 and 10 years and you just blew past that, your vision now is different. And so you, as I understand, are selling a lot of these properties in Utah and taking that money mm-hmm. elsewhere. Talk to us about what your plan is here yeah. and why. Like, why are you leaving? So why are you taking some of the money out of Utah? Yeah, that's a good question. It, right now, it's it. the equity. Has, I mean, this is it, all my properties appreciated so much over the last three, four, five years, six years that I want to my return on equity, which is. You know, how much equity do you have and how much money is that making you a year? You know, um, and if it, for me, if it's below 6%, seven, even 7%, I'm out and I got to buy something else. But what, so you can do a 1031 exchange, which is you sell the property and it's a tax deferred exchange. So you take that equity and use it as a down payment tax free. On an equal or or greater property. mm -hmm, On an equal or greater property, not tax free. 
tax deferred, not tax, tax deferred. Free. Yeah. Um, and so I had so much equity and every year, you know, these properties were just making, just increasing quite a bit and appreciate, just appreciating like crazy. Like I think, uh, you know, uh, in Utah, I have over a hundred units now. Um, but I'm selling all my duplexes, all the little stuff, um, because I want to start getting into bigger stuff. It's a lot easier to get into bigger stuff. Commercial, why is that? Commercial loans. You don't have to have a job to get a commercial loan. You have to have experience and you have to have, you have to have credit. So experience, credit, and then it has to be a good property. And you have to have the down payment, which I have this equity in all these, all these properties. And you have it. Mm-hmm. By the end of this year, I'll have 400 units. And so what is that project? What is the project that you're working on? Did you buy something existing? Did you Mm -hmm. build it? What did you do? No, existing. I'm going to stick with my bread and butter because you can buy a place, force appreciation by fixing it up, or there's some sort of value add to it. Um, And and there's a lot of strategies. A lot of the big boys that own thousands and thousands of units, they like to buy B or A-class properties that are turnkey that you just... You just leave, you don't have to fix them up. They're already stabilized. The good as is. You know, they, yeah. they buy, it cash flows, but they also buy for the tax benefits, depreciation, all that. So me, I feel like we're buying properties, you know, between two and 10 million now. Um, and So the duplexes would be little stuff comparatively. And little. not any less work. You And you mentioned earlier, you know, just growing, if you, you, you just want to, you buy that first property so that it has an opportunity to grow. You get that equity clock started. So if anybody, right. you know, is interested in buying a place, do it. Just get your first place. Just get one. Because as soon as you get that one, like your brother, your the equity clock starts ticking. Equity clock, yeah. And it starts appreciating. You can leverage that. I've took, I've taken out home equity lines of credit on most properties that I've lived in and I've taken the equity that, that I've gained over the years and I put it towards, and I just use that and buy more places. It's just the velocity of money. How fast can you get your money back out and go put it in a new property? Now, have you spent money in other States buying property? Yes. I'm really focused in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And why is that? I feel like, well, I mean, you can buy 50 units for under $3 million, you know, and you only have to put 20% down. So for $600,000, which that one fourplex had $600,000 in equity, I can go buy 50 units in, I see. in St. Louis. So all of a sudden, it's not just growing, it's exponential growth. You're, mm-hmm. You take the equity, you buy the next thing, you take the combined equity, and then now you have your eyes open not only here, but elsewhere. Why is it still a smart investment to buy in a city you don't live in? Because, well, I don't live in it, but my partner does. There you go. I have a partner that lives there. I convinced this partner to buy years ago to buy, you know, properties here. He bought them. um, That's right. And did really well. And then he, he lives in St. Louis and he's been there for years and finally convinced me Let's let's invest here. Let's build a team here. So over the last year, I've been building a team out there, brokers, and uh, I met with a broker two days ago. Uh, yesterday, sorry, yesterday I met with a broker that um, he in St. Louis. I just flew back late last night. Um, he transacts a billion dollars a year. One guy, just a little bit, and so and, and he. We met with him, built a relationship. He likes us. And that's, that's and, and one thing he told me yesterday was, you know, this town, this city is big enough. If you're just a little bit ambitious, you'll do really well here. Yeah, there's room for all. Mm-hmm. And my partner and I out there, our goal is next year to have a thousand units there. So you have taken this initial risk and you're, from what I know of you, you're a little bit of a dreamer. And then Jen, as you mentioned, she can be very logical when it comes to this business side of it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've done a transaction with her and worked with her, and she's obviously very sharp and knows what she's doing and can really work those sides. Mm-hmm. So you guys are a good team together that way. And I don't know how involved she is with everything that you're doing. I know she's she's been involved quite a bit throughout the years. 
but with your other partners, like working with them, growing mm. it to this expanded mindset. Why don't you give us some takeaways here? There's a lot of listeners who just don't even know how to pull the trigger, like Alex mentioned. Mm -hmm. And there's some individuals, uh, potentially like Alex, who may find themselves in a different circumstance in life. And then they have to learn, how do I manage that now that I'm given this opportunity? Mm -hmm. You mentioned before, being a good steward over what you're given. Because we know that if all we do is make money mm -hmm. and we store it away, it will depreciate in value because of inflation. We need that money mm -hmm. to go elsewhere so it increases. Mm -hmm. For those that are listening and watching who want to learn how to take those first few steps, just give us some general takeaways and then let us know how we can get a hold of you because mm -hmm. I'm sure some of these people would want to talk to you yeah. more about this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the number one thing that helped me is I have a wife that is so on board with this. Got I, it. I've mentored a bunch of people that have come to me and asked, hey, we want to do this. I want to do this, blah, blah, blah. How do I do this? And then they never do anything because their wife doesn't sleep well at night knowing that somebody might not pay the rent. You right. know? And, and that's fine. Everybody's different. There's there 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 are four hundred one ks, Roth IRAs, good good investment tools for people like that. Where and, security is the, se security. the priority, yeah. and, and that's totally fine. Everybody's different. But for me, I wanted to get out of this. You know, my family are they're either construction workers or farmers. That's that, true. That, that's where I came from. That and, and, and I wanted to break out of that. You know, I now I, now I want to go buy a farm and just be a farmer. But <laughs> full, full circle. circle. There it is. Full but with yeah. a lot of security and freedom. Exactly. Yeah, but with a lot, lot of properties. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exactly. So, um, Boy, I don't care if these crops grow. <laughs> right. Nope, but they sure do look good. They look, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so having a wife that was just on board, it helped me tremendously. Now, I don't see myself... You know, I went to school when I graduated high school. Now, my parents divorced when I was in eighth grade, so high school didn't really matter. I was, I'm a smart kid um, in high school, but I didn't try. Nobody was there to help. I went. I feel like the public school kind of failed me a little bit. I just, you know, just didn't try. Nobody was really there. My mom was awesome. She was a single mom. She's awesome. Working two jobs. For, you know, there's four, there's five boys in my family, no girls, and... She just was in survival mode. You know, her her parents bought her bought this house for us, and that we grew up in in Ohio, and we just never had that mentality. And I wanted to get out of that. I just wanted to, I just wanted my kids and my you know people around me to just break free of a lot of that. And I can see how the stress of money hurts relationships, hurts individuals, hurts, you know, um, it, it kind of, they become, obs they're more obsessed with money because they think money in their, in their mind, if I, if I only won the lottery, they'd spend it all, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I feel like that's not being a good steward. Uh, so what comes to mind is like the Forrest Gump realizing that he has so much stock in Apple or whatever it yeah. is. And, and his comment is, and I thought that was good. One less thing to worry about where you can get to a level of mm -hmm. money where wealth sometimes lets you stop obsessing about wealth. Mm -hmm. Right. It, exactly. And, um, now I, with that said, I know a lot of people that are in real estate and they, they really like nice things. They really like nice brand new cars and big houses and stuff like that. And that's fine for me. I don't, I don't care about that stuff. I'll, I'll probably, um, you know, I don't like having loans on cars, you know, um, I don't like having, you know, I don't need to have super nice, you know, the biggest house or the nicest cars or anything like that. And I feel like we have in this society, we kind of obsess with that. So that's why I want to sell everything and just, my farm <laughs> but well, you don't you don't see money necessarily as like what it can buy you see money as how it can grow it, yeah a lot of people look at money as the end yeah i look at it as a means to the end mm -hmm. so um wealth and being a good steward of wealth gives you the opportunity to 
do better things for other people. Well, okay. So with that in mind, like even being around you myself over mm-hmm. the years, it's changed my mindset. The reason for that, the reason for that is, is because we, like I, as an, and as an agent, am all about appearance as well. I have a lease on my car and I'm going to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I used to think it mattered what I looked like when I pulled up to a house to show my clients, but it turns out my clients couldn't care less about what I look like. They care about the house that they're going to buy <laughs> and the, the things that they have. We're, we have limited time, so we're going to wrap up. But I want you to know, Andy, thank you so much for mm-hmm. everything that you've given us today. It's an incredible amount of information. How can, how can we get a hold of you? If people wanted to, to reach out to you, what's a simple way an email, a phone number, something where they can ask you more questions since yeah, you have such a knowledge. Email me. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us that. Uh, Andrew Dean Real Estate at gmail.com. So, Andrew, do you have a social media presence at all? No, Man, I'm, I I'm, I'm, I'm not a. Maybe I, that's a takeaway. I don't have Instagram. <laughs> I have Facebook, but apparently Facebook's for old people now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but that, that's all I have. I, I don't. I'm not a. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm not a social media kind of guy. Well, we just want to thank uh, producer Alex, also producer Ryan for running the show. Thank you, Andy, for mm-hmm. being on the show. We appreciate it. That does it for us on the It's On Real Estate podcast. We'd like to thank Mountain Air Studios here filmed in Draper, Utah. Stay with us as next week we're going to have more content for you. Hopefully we'll be able to do more filming just like this. And we'll punch this out to YouTube and we'll dice this up in clips so you guys can digest it a little bit at a time. Thanks for listening.